Take our Bibles, open it to Ephesians 6, and um, today we're just going to zoom into one verse. We're working through this great little epistle, often called the Queen of the Epistles, um, and we are in the section on spiritual warfare and how to stand uh, against the devil and how to wear the armor of God, what that means, what that does not mean. Uh, we're still getting into the armor of God in detail, and we're taking our time because I do believe this is a, a, a subject we as Christians, there's a lot of mis, uh, misunderstanding, a lot of confusion about this topic, and this text just wonderfully refreshing, wonderfully uh, encouraging for us, um, but also challenging because you and I have a role to play. We can't be passive in this war. It's not something we just sit back and say, okay, let's just see what will happen. No, this is something you and I have to be active in as we see in these verses. So we just, we're going to read from verse 10. And just up until verse 13, but we're going to zoom in to verse 11. So, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So today we're going to just zoom in to that verse 11. We want to know what are these schemes when it says stand against the schemes of the devil. So before we go on, um, just make a few observations. First, notice the word scheme is in the plural. So not the scheme of the devil, but the schemes, plural. What's the idea? The devil has many. There are many plans. There are, he's constantly thinking, strategizing. His methods are updating as the years go by. And his mission is the same, to destroy our unity, to destroy our families, our marriages, our faith in Christ, our love for Christ. That goal stays the same, but his methods will change. So we shouldn't think that he cannot use different things. So we should, it is worth asking in every generation, in every situation, what is the current threat to the body of Christ? What is the current threat to our unity as a church? And when I say unity of the church, I'm not necessarily only thinking of us as a local church, but the church, the bigger church as well. So schemes, there are many. And second and last observation I just want to point out is the word against. So when you read again, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The idea there is we should not be neutral or passive about those schemes. When we see those schemes, when we start recognizing that the devil is wiggling in into our lives or into our families or into our evangelism or into our church, we should actively stand against it. We should call it out. Isn't that, that's one of the most powerful ways to destroy the schemes of the devil is to call it by its name. And that's the sad thing is sometimes the devil is, is, is using temptation, using deception, using these things, but we, we're so scared to give him too much credit that we don't want to say it might be him. It might be the devil behind this thing. Now, let me just say a word to us younger believers. Now, when I say younger here, I'm not saying newly converted, I mean literally below 40, okay, younger like in age, I think we make this mistake more often than the older generation, right? 
What do we think when someone uh, in the older generation says, I think the devil might be behind, like, oh, these old people. They're so superstitious. I can't believe. They just think the devil is behind everything, right? I, I'm, I'm done with them. Or, right? and, and sometimes there's good reasons because you always get those WhatsApps, right? TikToks or WhatsApp that just explains Biden is the Antichrist. Or, you know, and then you, you, you do get tired. You do feel, okay, no, there, there's maybe a little bit gullibility here. But we shouldn't be too quick to throw out that possibility. And that's just a word of encouragement for us younger believers. Think about it. Is, maybe the devil is using this thing in some way. Do you think, for example, that the devil was idle in the pandemic or in the, in, during COVID time? Right? I don't think the devil was on lockdown all right, during lockdown. He was attacking the church's unity Causing confusing, causing doubt. One camp standing strong on churches must open. Another camp says, no, the church must close. And there's just this infighting between the churches. I think that's one of the schemes you should be able to call out by names. Like, we're not going to allow this thing to destroy our unity in the church. But are you alert to those kind of things? Are you sober-minded? Are you thinking? Are you standing against that? Now, so I've spoken to the younger believers, the older, us older, literally older, gray hair, bald, whatever you want to add to that. I think your temptation might be definitely to be overly concerned about the devil, overly worried, overly anxious, thinking the devil is behind everything, literally giving him more credit than he deserves, right? So we, the older believers, should not be so focused on the devil, but rather more focused on the Lord Jesus. And that is something we should all be focused on. We should be focusing on the Lord primarily. And when the schemes are starting to come in our lives, we should be able to call it out. And that's the idea, yeah, okay? So you are to be alert. So what schemes do the devil use? What are his common tactics to destroy churches, marriages, and our faith individually as Christians? Now, I've tried to summarize it with four Ds. Four Ds. The four Ds of the schemes of the devil. Now, again, these are like, I want you to think of them as umbrella terms. I'm not going to, it's not an exhaustive list. It's just going to be a good summary way to remember. And here's the first D of the devil is deception. Deception. Every general has his favorite war tactic, and I think this is his. The devil's favorite tactic is deception and lies. That's one of his titles, right? He's the father of lies. I've heard it said that he would tell you a thousand truths so that you would believe the thousand and one lie. He would do that. In, in Revelation 12, 9, he's called the deceiver of the whole world. He deceives through false gospels, false teachers. Listen to this verse, 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, says, Such men, meaning pastors or teachers, are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds." The devil doesn't come to us as our enemy. He comes to us as our friend, right? He comes to us. Like, he says things like, I'm glad you believe the Bible. I'm glad you believe the gospel. Let's go to the deeper things of God. Let's go now to the deeper gospel. I know that gospel you've been growing up. Yes, that's beautiful. That's good. Let's go deeper now. Jesus plus gospel, right? It's like probably what happened to the Galatians when these false teachers were like, yes, Jesus, but now you have to be circumcised. Now you have to keep the law. Now you have to add to Christ these works of righteousness. So it, 
it will either add the idea to the Bible or say, or just use the Bible, but use the Bible wrongly. Twist the Bible. Use the Bible, but then twist those scriptures. So when you are at the place where you say, I believe this because my pastor said so, or my parents said so, you are in a very dangerous place. You should not believe what you believe based on even your favorite teachers of the Bible, but based on the Bible itself. Do you see the difference there? Your theology and your convictions must be anchored or rooted in texts, in verses, in, in the Bible itself. That should be your conviction that you would be willing to die for. Paul actually, I love what he does in Galatians 1. I wonder if you've picked this up. Listen to this, what he says in Galatians 1 verse 8. It says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that has been preached to you, let him be accursed. As we've said again, I say now again, if anyone, including Pastor Rian, is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul says, Listen, I know I've preached this gospel to you, but let's say I, in the future, start twisting this gospel. Let me be accursed. Let Paul, I, Paul, be accursed. If an angel comes, so Mormon should have ignored it, right? Or Joseph Smith should have ignored the angel. Muhammad should have ignored the angel. The angel comes and says, here's another message. Here's another gospel. Here's another Jesus. Reject it. We shouldn't rely on those authorities. We should rely on the word of God as our final authority in all matters of faith and godliness. Remember, the devil knows the Bible. Do you know what scripture he was quoting in the temptation of Jesus when he says, cast yourself off the temple, for it is written, and he quotes Psalm 91. I think a lot of people still have that same devil's hermeneutic, like this car is protected by Psalm 91. It's the same kind of idea. The devil is using the scriptures and twists it and takes it out of context. And that's why we need to know our Bibles well. Listen, here's some of his favorite lies, favorite deceptions. We've, we've said this before, but listen to this one. You would probably know this one, right? You can sin. Isn't God a God of grace? Isn't God a God of forgiveness? Go. You can sin. It's okay. Didn't Jesus die for your sins? And then we go and we sin. And the moment we've sinned, he turns around and says, how could you? How filthy are you? You can't go to Christ like that. How do you? You just use his grace as an excuse for sin. Just stay there. Clean yourself up first. And then you can go to Jesus if he would accept you. You see how he could just tempt us and then blame us for the temptation as well. Or what about, I think the main, one of the main things today is God wants you to be happy. This relationship that is sinful makes you happy. Doesn't God want you to be in this relationship? This homosexual relationship or sex before marriage kind of a relationship or living together before married. But this makes you happy. Shouldn't you do these things? Who are other people to judge? And he's pushing us into our sin. And, or YOLO, you only live once. Go for it, right? You're young. He deceives by flatly contradicting the scriptures. Remember what he said to, to Eve after he started twisting the scriptures. Then he would turn to, you will not surely die. He starts with deceit and then he just denies the Bible. Now we can multiply these lies by a thousand, right? 
in our culture, in the way we think and what our world is. But we should be so transformed by the renewal of our mind. We should think biblically. That when the devil comes and when he tempts us, when he lies to us, like, I can see that. I see for what it is. I'm going to stand against that. Remember the parable of the sower, the first ground. Remember, what does the first ground represent when the seed was sown on the rocky ground? Listen to Mark 4 verse 15. He says, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So have you ever considered that just sitting here is spiritual warfare? Just sitting here, listening to the Bible, is spiritual warfare. The devil waiting at the door for, it, for him to snatch it out of your heart if you didn't understand. or Because he doesn't want you to understand. He doesn't want you to concentrate and focus on the Word of God. So, beloved, this is, this is the first major tactic, is deception. To keep you from the truth, keep you from... The word of God. But here's a second one. And I would say probably close, close competitor to the first one. If the first one is deception, the second tactic is doubt. Doubt. This is like the twin brother of deception. Right? He wants to sow deception and then with that deception wants you to doubt. Is that really a sin? Is that really what the Bible says? Right? And here is his favorite doubt tactic for believers. So if you're a believer, if you are a follower of Christ, here is his favorite tactic with you. And that is to doubt your own salvation. To doubt if you are a Christian or not. He loves to attack our assurance. He is called the accuser of the brothers in Revelations 12. Listen, he, you, could, you could argue he even attacked Jesus' assurance. Why do I say that? Matthew 3 was the baptism of Jesus and what the heavens are torn open and the voice from heaven comes out and the father says to his son, this is my beloved son. What's the temptation in Matthew 4? Right after chapter 3, the first thing the devil says, if you are the son of God. He takes the statement of fact of God and he twists it in an if. If. I love this quote from one author. He says, the devil loves to trade his own if for God's is. He loves to trade his own if for God's is. Even in your life, right? He does the same with us. When you are weak, when you sin, what does he do? He whispers, if you are a Christian, how could you do that? You cannot belong to him. You cannot be his. But God wants us as believers to have full assurance of our salvation, to rest fully, not in the works of our righteousness, but in the right, an alien righteousness, the free gift of God through Christ. 1 John 5, 13, um, that's the whole purpose of 1 John. He says, I write these things to you believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know. So this is how you fight these doubts you fight it with the truth, with the promises of God. When the devil reminds you of your sin, you say, yes, devil, you're right. I have sinned. Yes, I've fallen. But my God promised if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You quote to him 1 John 2, 2. 1 John 2, verse 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
Beloved, justification by faith alone is a mighty weapon against doubt. A mighty weapon. That you are not righteous based on you, but based on another alien righteousness. So fight for this. Stand firm in the promises of God. Let the kindness of God lead you to true repentance. Confess your sins. But get this. For those whom the devil knows are not true Christians, not truly saved because they live in unrepentant sin and they don't trust and follow and obey Jesus, what is the devil going to do with them when it comes to assurance and salvation? What does he want them to believe? He wants to give them assurance. So those who are not following Christ, he wants to switch it around. You're saved. Don't worry. You don't have to repent. You don't have to stop with that sin. You don't have to really pluck out your eye and cut off your hand. That's very radical, right? You can still keep these comforts of the world and go to heaven. Don't be so worried. Relax, eat, drink. You have a lot of time. You're saved, so just go to heaven in peace. And not this kind of a war mentality and sharing the gospel and killing your sin and confessing your sins of other Christians and walking together as a church. No, that's too hard work. Don't do that. Just relax. Remember, you've prayed a prayer. Didn't you pray a prayer when you were a child? You've invited Jesus into your heart. You're saved. So what he's doing is he's trying to pull our eyes to a false foundation. No one is saved by praying a prayer. Not one Christian. No one is saved by inviting Jesus into their hearts. That's not what saves us. Those are false. Look at the scriptures. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says we are saved by Christ, putting our faith in Jesus. We're not saved even by, the, by putting our faith in the cross. Now what I mean by that is this. I want you to listen carefully to me. We're not saved by trusting in a wooden cross. We're saved by putting our faith in a Jesus who has died on the cross for our sins. We're not saved by putting our faith in the resurrection. We're saved when we put our faith in Jesus who has been raised from the dead. It's a living Christ we trust in. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Who ever believed the cross? No. Who believes in him? It's a personal faith in a personal savior to save you from your sins because he has died on the cross for your sins. It's a very small thing, but that's where our assurance lies. The object of our faith is to look away from ourselves. And so listen, that's the invitation for you who might, be, who might think you are saved, but you're just enjoying your sin and enjoying your life without Christ, not really following him. The invitation is for you right now to repent, to turn away from your selfish life, your self-centered life, and to look to Christ and to follow him. He has died for your sins. He loves you. If you would come, all who would come, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you know Jesus personally? That's the question. So that is the second major um, weapon of the devil. Doubt for true believers Assurance for false believers or false Christians. But here's the third one is distraction. Distraction. And you can see this in the small things. The moment you want to pray, suddenly you're just distracted. Your mind is flooded with a lot of garbage. You're like, where did that come from? All right, you, you share, you're talking to someone. You want to share with them the gospel. Suddenly a phone, their phone rings. When just, about, just when you wanted to talk about Jesus, their phone rings. Sorry, I have to go. Or somebody else comes in and interrupts you. 
What's that? That's the devil trying to take us away from the truth and from the gospel and from prayer. Those are small things, but there's also these bigger things that the devil tries to use to distract us from Christ. And so here's a, f- a few subpoints as well you can remember. The first one is he uses riches, comfort, and kingdom now mentality to distract us from the kingdom of God and his purposes. Riches, comfort, kingdom now. Now remember, this is what the devil did with Peter when Jesus told the disciples, I am going to die on the cross. Peter took him aside and rebuked him and said, you will not do this. You will not go to the cross. What is that? Kingdom now mentality. We're not going to suffer. What is this suffering thing? What is this carrying our cross thing? No, 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 no. Jesus, you're almighty. You can multiply bread. You can be our king. There's never going to be famines anymore. There's never going to be poverty anymore. Come, Jesus, you must be on the throne. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me. Satan, you are not thinking the things of God. You're setting your mind on the things of man. Kingdom now mentality. Comfort now, suffering never. Christ's word is suffering now, glory later. Now we suffer. Now we take up our cross. We deny ourselves. It's a difficult road. Narrow is the gate and hard is the path. Not easy. So the devil knows that riches, earthly concerns, often hardens our hearts, robs the word of God from our hearts to really believe that and trust in him. The rest of the parable of the sower, the devil knows that. He knows what the rest of the parable of the sower means. Listen to Mark 4, 18. It says, Others are the ones sown among the thorns. They, they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in and choke the word and proves unfruitful. Remember what the, the, the devil promised Jesus riches and the kingdom. He says, if you would just bow down to me, here's the kingdom, here's riches, here's everything. So we should be aware of that. And beloved, I want to say almost tongue in cheek, we have a spiritual advantage in South Africa, don't we? Every time it's load shedding, every time you have to dodge one of the potholes, Every time you are frustrated with the slow home affairs, Lord, thank you, this is not our home. You've reminded me yet again that this is not supposed to be comfortable. This is, we're just passing through, okay? Of course, you should, we should do things excellently. I'm not making excuses, okay? But let that just be a reminder. Lord, thank you, we, it's difficult to be a South African. I would rather be a Lazarus and go to heaven than a rich man and go to hell, won't you? And that's the idea. Let's focus on the kingdom. Secondly, and now I'm just going to flip it around, the second distraction is actually suffering and trials. So the devil, he can both use riches as well as your suffering, your trials, to distract you from God and his promises and his goodness. That's what he did with Job. That's what he wanted to do with Job. Remember, he said, Lord, Look at how blessed he is. Of course he's praising you, but let's take away some things from his life and let's see if he really loves you. There he uses suffering. And remember Revelation 2 verse 10, Jesus tells one of the seven churches, Jesus says, do not fear, Revelation 2 10, do not fear the, what are about, you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. So whether prosperity or adversity, whether health, or sickness, 
that they will use those things to, to divert our, our gaze upon the goodness of our God, the faithfulness of our God, that we are dependent on our God. Both in the wilderness when we are looking for the manna, the daily manna, and when God brought us into the promised land and we are just in the land of milk and honey, both we need to be dependent on God, not to be distracted with either complaining and groaning or thinking it's our own strength that has gotten us this wealth. Number three, the third distraction is theological extremes. Theological extremes. So I think this one would be more relevant for people like us who love theology, love sound doctrine, want to know the truth. Be careful, and don't be careful of sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is always good for you. But this is what the devil will do with your good theology. He wants to blow it out of proportion. He wants you to be an extreme in that category. We see that in the very example also of the temptation of Jesus. So what's the first temptation? He says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Jesus says, no, you shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What does he do immediately after? It's almost like the devil switches to the other extreme. Like, okay, let's see if you really trust in the word of your father. You said, Jesus, you just said, you rely on the words of God. Let's test that. Throw yourself off the temple. Didn't your father say he will catch you? Isn't that what the Bible says? Let's see, Jesus. It's like a wrestling match. I, um, I don't know if anybody is wrestling here. Okay, no hands. Okay, so even, okay, but, so yeah, I hope it makes sense. I think it will. It's like a wrestling match. When one person pushes against the other person, one tactic is just to remove your weight on the one side and then the person falls and you can just quickly gain mastery over that person. That's what the devil does. It's like, oh, you believe that? Excellent. Let me push you in that direction. Oh, you believe this? Excellent. Go for it. Let me push you. Give a few practical examples. Oh, you believe God is sovereign over all things. All things are in the counsel of God and nothing happens without his plan. Don't pray. Why should you pray? God is in control. Don't evangelize. God will save his elect. Right? What is he doing with us? He's taking the theology and he's pushing us in that direction. Or, oh, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Wonderful. I agree. Don't worry about your sin. Don't, don't kill your sin. Okay? What is he doing? Pushing you into that extreme. You don't need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You only quote half of the verse, right? Because the next one is, for it is God who works in us both to will and to work. So if you simply have good theology and sound doctrine, he will, or he will just use your theology and whisper compliments in your ears. Oh, you're so smart. Well done. Look at all these other plebs, these poor souls, these other churches who don't teach sound doctrine and you are so amazing knowledge puffs up so he's taking these these doctrines these that is supposed to put us on the ground and humble us in the dust and he blows us up that we think we're better than other people that's what he does so that's what he loves to do is theological extremes he's going to either pull and push you're in one direction. That's why I just have to take the whole Bible. Okay, so Genesis to Revelation, then you're safe. Okay, it's like one guy said, if you want to know what's wrong with your spiritual life, try reading all the verses you haven't underlined. Okay, because normally those are the areas you're not focusing on that you should be focusing on. Okay, all right. Here's the last um, distraction is over-reliance 
on the flesh. Quickly turn to 1 Chronicles with me, an Old Testament book. This is one of those weird passages when you just read it fast, you don't know what this means. But look at, I just want to show you the context of this verse and help you see this. So, greatly held by Tim Conway, great preacher of God's word as well. But listen to 1 Chronicles 21 verse 1. So in your Bibles, it says, Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. Okay, so our first question would be, what's wrong with numbering Israel? Why is this an incitement of the devil? Now the next, look at the next couple of verses. Verse 2 says, So David said to Joab and to the commanders of the army, Go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring me a report that I might know their number. So David is speaking to the commanders of the army. Okay, that's important. Look at verse 3 now. But Joab said, May the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. Are they not, my Lord, the king, all of them, my Lord's servants? Why then should my Lord require this? Why should it be a cause of guilt for Israel? Okay. Now, why would this be um, sinful for David? And I think it's because of this thing of some trust in chariots, some trust in order, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. David is looking to his army instead of to God for his military strength and success. Look at verses 4 to 5. Now it's going to become clear. Look at verses 4 to 5. It says, But the king's word prevailed against Joab. So Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came back to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of the numbering of the people to David. In all Israel there were 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. That's, that's the key. Who are they numbering? The people who draw the sword. And in Judah, 470,000 who drew the sword. You see, what was this all about? This was a flex of kingdom might. This is over-relying on the flesh. This is, I'm not going to look to my God. I'm going to look to my army as the primary way to win my battles. Right? So that's what's happening here. This is, this is how Satan incited David. David, don't rely on the Lord. Rely on your flesh. After all, without men, you can't even have war. You can't even go to war. But this is an easy thing the devil can do with us, is to distract us from trusting wholeheartedly in the Lord and trusting in other things that are even good things. It's even possible to be over-reliant on a pastor or a preacher of God's word. This was a problem for the early church in 1 Corinthians 3. Listen to 1 Corinthians 3. It says, For when one says, I follow Paul... And another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So the one extreme, right, is to be over-reliant on your pastor. You, you can't study the scriptures for yourself. On the other hand, on the other side of the coin, there might be an over-reliance on the flesh by not going to a church at all. Why do I need the church? I'm sufficient. I don't need this, this gathering of believers and submitting myself to, to elders in the church. Like That's just too formal for me. Right? I'm okay. That's also a type of relying on your flesh instead of relying on the means God has given us through his people. Or perhaps the devil wants us to be focused on our numbers. Look how small you guys are. You can't do anything, right? Or look at the finances of the church. How, how are you ever going to be in missions and going out and sharing the gospel, planting churches, caring for the needy, caring for the poor? You can't do that. You're too small. You don't have funds. But we should stand against that and say, 
Lord, the Lord can save by many and he can save by few. He can use us, for it's not in our strength that we trust. I love this verse. Um, remember Gideon. God wanted to use Gideon, and I love this verse, Judges 7 verse 2. It says, the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you, get this, are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Too many. Lord, can there ever be too many warriors for the war, right? Yes, if it distracts you from relying on the Lord. We should be relying on the Lord always for all things, even as we trust in his means, as we pray, as we read our Bibles, as we come to church, as we do these things that God has given us in his grace to help us grow. So let's turn back to Ephesians and look at the last major scheme the devil uses. So we should be sober-minded and think clearly about these his deception, the doubt he can use, the many distractions away from the Lord and trusting in him. And yes, the last one is disaster or, or in brackets hurt. So I kept it a D to keep the four Ds, but you could just say bitterness or unforgiveness or hurt. But for your memory, I hope it helps. Now, I think this is a, the main way the devil destroys marriages and churches is through this scheme what happens is you get hurt by your husband, your wife. You get hurt by someone in the church. Someone sinned against you. There was real sin. So, so please don't hear me say anything about forgiveness, meaning that what happened to you is not serious. That's not how God treats our sin as well. It's serious when we sin against each other. But what the devil wants with that is for us to hold on to that pain and hold on to the anger and the bitterness we say, I will deal with this my way. I will punish that person by never talking to that person again. I will not be part of this group of hypocrites. right? And so we, will, we remove ourselves from what God wants us in his grace. So that's what he does. Look, just turn to Ephesians 4 verse 26. This is a verse we've been looking at so many times, but in spiritual warfare, this is a verse we should remember. It says, 4.26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. You see what this text says? It's like if you are angry and if you sin and if the sun sets on your anger, meaning it's retained over and over over a long period of time, you're opening the door for the devil. You're giving an opportunity in your heart, in your marriage, in the church. It's a scary thought. How many churches have been destroyed by this scheme? How many marriages have been broken up because... They couldn't repent biblically or forgive biblically, or both. Remember, we need to stand against these schemes. I think this is going to be the most common way we should do spiritual warfare as a church. You are going to be disappointed. You are going to be hurt. That is part of being people that's not in heaven yet. We're not set free from our corruption yet. So how do we stand against this? Well, doing just drop down to verse 30 to, verse 30 to 32. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I hope you remember this following phrase, and I hope you can even picture it in your mind. Forgiveness is like a kick in the face, in Satan's face, right? It's in his face. In your face, devil, I'm going to forgive I'm not going to be taken advantage of you. 
In fact, that's really the, the background of that verse when Paul says, we will not be outwitted by the schemes of the devil. Just read, look at that verse again, 2 Corinthians 2 verse 10. Paul says, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So the church probably put someone out of the church through church discipline. The brother wanted to come back and repent and say, no, we've disciplined you, get out. And now they did the other extreme, the other side. You see how the devil, like the first extreme was allowing sin and now it's like, no, we're holy. You're not coming back. And Paul says, you are being outwitted by Satan. If you don't forgive one another, you are being outwitted by the devil. I love this quote from Jared Wilson. It's a great book he wrote, The Gospel According to Satan. You can read that. It's a very good book. But he writes, forgiving people do get taken advantage of but unforgiving people, Paul said in verse 11, get taken advantage of by Satan. So here's your options. Either get taken advantage of by people or get taken advantage of by Satan. Your choice. Because sometimes we say, I don't want to be taken advantage of. I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to reconcile. And you're opening the door for the devil. So dear church, these are his major schemes these are the things we should be looking out primarily deception doubt distraction and disaster hurt personal pain in our lives so beware of these things be watchful in prayer that's why we need to pray for one another regularly we need to watch over one another with prayer we have to keep each other accountable lest anyone be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin stand against them with the armor of god stand strong in truth Take the breastplate of righteousness. Take up the shield of faith to trust his promises and the distractions and the disasters and the hurt he wants to use. Sharpen your sword, Christian. Know your Bible. Memorize scripture. Let us not lose focus upon our great God and our great Savior, who he is greater than he who is in the world. And we can stand and rest in him. He's our protector. He's our anchor. He's our rock. And he keeps us in his hands. And let's follow him. Amen. Let's pray. Let's just use 30 seconds. 30 seconds to just respond in our hearts in prayer to God. And yeah, let's use this time to pray. Let's use this time now. Father, we thank you that you can equip us and teach us, Lord, to think publicly and rightly about this this thing, Lord. And, oh Lord, we have many different weaknesses, different doubts that we struggle with, different temptations, different distractions that we all, all battle with. Lord, but thank you that your love for us doesn't change, that you 
you have chosen us and you have died on the cross for sinners that all who come to you, all who call on your name will be forgiven and will belong to you. Lord Jesus, you've loved us and you've given yourself up for us. And Lord, may we stand in that. May we love you. May we trust in you. Help us, Father, to know our Bibles better and to rest in your grace deeper and to obey you faster. Lord, we do pray like we learned in the Catechism as well, Lord, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. We do want to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, at the same time knowing that it's you who work in us to will and to work for your good pleasure. So, Father, thank you. Uh, We praise your name for you are good. We pray these things for your namesake. Amen.